All right, well, we're continuing our series into shift, which is moving from what we know to who we know. So we're taking the things that we've maybe learned over the years about what the Bible has to say about Jesus and who Jesus is, to now actually talking about a relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. And so if you go all the way back into chapter 5, about Matthew 5 through 7, it starts off talking about blessed are those who basically, if we could sum it all up, humble themselves before God. Okay? talks about things like blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who, you know, seek and need that forgiveness, and he goes through prayers and those types of things, just building that relationship with God and what it looks like. And so as we continue through chapter 6, we've hit things like giving, we all like to talk about that, Uh, prayer and what prayer looks like, and then today we're going to talk about fasting. Now, I just want to read the passage for you and then uh, give you a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll jump into this text together. Whenever you fast, okay, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, now they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will then rewards you. I want to take a moment, give you a moment just to kind of reflect on those words, maybe reflect on something in your life, give you a moment of silence to pray, ask God to teach us this morning, and then I'll go ahead and close. Just a moment of silence for you and God right now, and then I'll, I'll close in prayer. Father, like it's modeled here in this passage, we want to approach you with humility. And we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We do boldly approach your throne, but not through our own works, through the work of your Son. And we come asking that as we read your word and talk about your scriptures and what it has to say, that we would not only just read these words, but it would make a way into our minds and our hearts and affect every part of our lives. And we pray, God, that this this day is not a day we just show up and pretend to be a Christian or a follower of you, but it's a day we come to worship you, to celebrate what you have done together with the body of believers, where we can encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, where we can be challenged by your word, where we can offer up prayers and know that you hear us, where we can leave this place encouraged and challenged in our faith to grow. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift you have given us through your Son. Jesus, thank you that you took our place on the cross. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have patience to walk with us daily. You see the ins and outs of our lives. You know our thoughts, and yet you still love us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and compassion. We pray for your guidance, your leading, your teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go into this passage, I want to first start by throwing this word out there, and maybe you've heard it before, I'm sure somewhere along the way. I remember the first time I actually heard it, well, I don't know if I remember the exact time, but I remember hearing it more recently and thinking, narcissism, that's kind of interesting. I probably studied it at one point and then forgot about it, and now it's kind of resurfaced and come back up, and, and people talk about it quite a bit, and it's gained momentum. 
Do you know what narcissism is? If you don't, there's hope for you because I have a definition. Okay, here it is. It's an inflated view of self, okay, coupled, usually coupled with a lack of interest in others. Now, it's not like I love myself so much and I hate other people. It's more like I just like myself so much nobody else really matters, okay? That's the kind of attitude it is. So, you know, it's not like there's enemies out there. It's just really you're not that important. Only I'm important. And that's kind of the, the attitude that a, that a narcissist would have, right? Everybody else is kind of on the earth to, you know, serve me type of a thing. That's, that's the attitude of a narcissist. Now, there's a couple reasons that uh, professionals think narcissism is on the rise and growing and is, is here maybe to stay for a little while. One is this, overpraising children. Now, it started kind of in the 80s, they think, maybe 90s and so forth. I was in the 80 category as far as growing up to the school system. And I remember having gold stars and trophies and things like that. And I don't really remember getting as much as maybe some do today. We, we oftentimes, you know, make fun of those things. Oh, you get a trophy for blah, blah, blah. And, but, but I remember getting a lot of praise, and we were told that, and I think even our parents were told that, you need to praise your kids over and over and make them the center of your family. And I think that's a big mistake, by the way, parents. Remember, parents, the center is first Christ, and then it's your marriage. One of the reasons why marriages fail is because we put too much emphasis on the kids. Your marriage and then your kids. Got it? Christ, your marriage and then your kids. So don't put it all on the kids and make them the center. It goes your marriage first, then the kids. So we overpraise children. We've seen that. I think we're seeing the results of that now because our, our children have grown up. I'm that generation too that's grown up and being told over and over again that I'm special. I should believe in myself. That of course, I'm the most important person on the earth, right? That's kind of what it leads to. Well, the other thing that people have noticed is that there's an increased pressure to compete in academics and sports and college acceptance and jobs and those types of things. And because of that, we've put a lot of effort and time and energy into helping these children that are growing up compete in those academics. You need to get better grades. You need to get better on your ACT and your SAT. And you need to get into that college. That college is going to make you more successful in your future. And, and so we have all this pressure and as they grow up with all this pressure weighing down on them, they're starting to think, well, I need to manage myself through that pressure. And again, where does all the focus go? goes to me, managing that pressure. Okay. Well, then there's social media's emphasis on image and stories. Now, this is a little more recent, but you see it quite often. There's all kinds of social media on our phones, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it is, people are taking pictures of themselves and posting it out there for the world to see. Now, oftentimes, they're taking nicer pictures, right? You know, they hike up to the top of the mountain. Look at me. I'm at the top of the mountain, you know. And then everybody else is like, oh, I should do that too. And all of a sudden, we're like in this competition or families. And I get, I get this, right? Families are out there having these awesome excursions, and, and they go to, I don't know, Disneyland, or they go on a hike, and they're again at the top of the mountain, or they're at Disneyland, and then they're like, hey, we need to take a selfie of our family, so we all get nice and neat and smiles, and we take a picture, and, and then the rest of us are like, oh, we're not doing that. We should do that. And what we forget is that 90% of the time, they're arguing and they're fighting, right? And all we see is the nice little picture 
that we see on, on, on Facebook or social media or something like that that makes it look like they're having a great time. And so again, we start to focus on ourselves like, oh, I need to compete with that. I need to do better. I need to put that out there so people don't think that my family is, is boring or just staying home or doing nothing out in the world. And then there's another one, self-help praise books and therapy. I don't know if you've seen some of that, but, but it's the idea that we just need to convince ourselves that we're special, we're good, we're amazing, we're kind, I believe in myself, uh, those types of things. And you hear about it. You can read books on it. You can go to conferences about it. It's all kind of about me, me, me. Build yourself up, right? And make yourself look better. Convince yourself you're better. When you wake up in the morning, start chanting to yourself, I'm good, I'm successful, I'm wonderful, I'm great. I'm, you know, and it's, it's that self-affirmation. Well, that again pulls attention on me. And so all of that tends to fuel narcissism. Now, narcissism is the extreme. All of us would say we're selfish, you know, at some point. Hopefully you realize that, that you're selfish to some degree. Narcissism is probably the extreme. Maybe you're somewhere in there. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, man, maybe I'm a narcissist. So I have a test for you today. Okay, quick test. It's only two steps. We'll see how well you do. Here it is. The narcissist test. Step one, take a moment to think about yourself. Step two, if you made it to step two, you're not a narcissist. If you don't get that, I don't know what to tell you. So just kind of the way it goes, all right? Um, There's your test. Now you know whether you passed or not. Hey, going back, you know, 6,000 years, 4,000 years, 2,000 years, the reality is people love attention. Now, we see narcissists today, we talk about narcissism and what that all means, and people like attention drawn to themselves and like to be the center of attention. Uh, I am in the youngest child, and oftentimes the youngest child gets uh, labeled with being the center of attention in the family, right? So I get to hear that quite often. Oh, you're the youngest, everybody loves you. Or if you're like the only boy and a whole bunch of girls, or the only girl and a whole bunch of boys, you get all the attention, everybody thinks the whole world revolves around you type of a thing. People love attention. And whether it's from your siblings, whether it's from your spouse, whether it's from the people at work, whether it's from your friends, wherever you go, we often struggle with this center of attention idea. Well, there actually is, I think, a God-given desire for attention in each of us. And it goes all the way back to creation. God created us, and when He created us, He made us in the image of Him, and then He he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and when Adam and Eve are in the garden, they're walking and talking with God, and they have this relationship with God that was unique, and we don't really get to experience other than through Christ, we have a piece of that, and then when we go to heaven, we'll, we'll know what that's actually like. But they got to have this relationship with God that was unlike any other that we know of. And they're walking with Him in the garden. You know, and, and before this, they didn't have a job. This was the nice part. Okay, it was after the, the fall that the curse came and we had to work and toil and those types of things. Before that, they were going through and they're like, man, this, look at this fruit. You know, God puts on this tree and we got to eat it and it's yummy. And look at the vegetables that grow on the ground and they're eating that. They weren't eating animals at that point because there was no death. But, but they were eating the, the fruit of the land. And it was great and it was good and the relationship was wonderful. And then they, they went a little further into that garden and that one tree that God said, don't eat of that tree. They're like, you know, all this other stuff that God has made is really good. Maybe that's good too. Let's be honest, you and I would probably be in the same boat, right? 
And with a little help from Satan, they go ahead and they eat that fruit. We don't know what it is. I always say it's a tomato because I don't like tomatoes. And tomatoes are supposedly fruits. So I don't know. We'll see. But, but the, something along those lines, they ate that fruit. And at that moment, like that, a form of narcissism began. Because it says at that moment they looked and saw that they were naked. At that moment they looked inward. Before it was all about God's creation, it was all about God's beauty, everything was outside. And at that moment they began to look inward. At that moment they began to crave what was longing or what was missing in their lives, that relationship with God that was once there before. And it was at that moment that began what this, this cycle that we have today where people are now apart or separated from God. And there's this gap between, between God and between man. And usually we're trying to fill it with something. And so we fill it with one of two things. One, we fill it with God, and He's given us a way to do that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Or two, we fill it with attention and love and affection from other people. And that's the option we seem to have. So which way should we go? Well, that brings us to our big idea for today. People give you goosebumps, but God gives you life. Goosebumps are temporary, right? And they could come from a couple different things. It could be cold, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got some goosebumps. Or, you know, somebody tells something that's funny, oh, I got some goosebumps. Or, there's, you know, you're younger, there's a cute guy. There's a, well, I guess you would not have to be younger, but there's a cute guy, there's a... Cute girl, goosebumps. I, I don't know, but we have these goosebumps. Somebody says something nice, and we got goosebumps. By the way, why do we have goosebumps? So the geese don't speed. Come on. Come on, people. You guys should know that, right? Whew, that's a dad joke all the way. Come on. All right, getting back more serious. We have these goosebumps. We're good. I don't know. They're, they're just a reaction that we have, and they're emotional, but they're temporary. They're here today gone tomorrow, or here this minute, gone the next minute. But God gives life, and that life is eternal, right? It's eternal life. Now, who would rather have a momentary excitement joy versus an eternal joy? Many of you say, no way, I don't want some momentary joy when I can have eternal joy. Well, we're given eternal joy through Christ. Yet for some reason, we're always attracted to the temporary. Isn't that crazy? We have eternal life in God. God gives us life, and yet we still want the goosebumps. We still want attention from others. Well, as we move into our passage this morning, we're going to talk about the three, well, just the the last one of the three different attention getters that the Pharisees had. The first one was giving, and Pastor Luke talked about that a few weeks ago. Hey, the second one is, uh, is praying, and Josh talked about that a couple, couple weeks ago as well. And then today we're going to talk about fasting and how the, the Pharisees went through fasting, a series of fasting or times of fasting to be able to get God's attention, draw attention to themselves, their motivation. What was their motivation behind it? So to start off, I want to give you a little bit of the background behind fasting and what it is. This is, fasting simply is this, abstaining from food as a spiritual discipline most often used to encourage greater concentration in prayer. 
Now, if you go through the Bible, you're going to see fasting quite a bit in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, but it's oftentimes associated with abstaining from food. In fact, I think it's always in the Bible, abstaining from food. Today, you'll hear people talk about fasting from, you know, TV, social media, entertainment, uh, maybe a certain kind of food, or maybe people will go through a, a full food fast. But it's most often used to encourage greater concentration in prayer. And this is the important piece right here. If you choose to fast, and maybe you've done this in the past, maybe you're thinking about it after this message, if you choose to fast, it's supposed to help you pray better or concentrate on prayer better. So it's associated or tied tightly to prayer. A couple of things you see in the Bible, fasting in the Bible is an act of humility before God. Okay, it's not something easy to do. In fact, when you decide to fast, you make a commitment to God, hey, I'm going to fast for, and then you usually name a length of time. Maybe it's a one-day fast. Maybe it's a one-meal fast. You're like, I'm going to break into this a little easier. I'm going to take that two o'clock in the morning midnight snack. I'm going to fast on that one, you know. Um, maybe it's a breakfast. Maybe a lunch. Maybe you decide the whole day. I don't know. But you decide that, and then you make that commitment to God, and then you hold yourself to that commitment. That's the humbling part. Psalm 35, 13, it says, Yet when they were sick, okay, he's praying for, talking about others, my clothing was sackcloth, so he puts on sackcloth, something that's uncomfortable, and I humbled myself with fasting. And my prayer was genuine. So here's the psalmist speaking of others. They were sick, so I went ahead and humbled myself before God, and then there was prayer, and my prayer was genuine. I'm doing this to demonstrate that my prayer was genuine. Fasting often coincides with a special petition. In Judges, there was a story where the Israelites, they were going to go and they were going to have a civil war with their own tribe, Benjamin. And before they do this, they were, they were trying to decide, should we do this? We're fighting our own people. And so they have this fast, and this is what they did. The whole Israelite army went to Bethel where they wept and sat before the Lord, and they fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. It was part of their prayers. It was part of their offerings. It was part of their worship to come before God and fast. A couple other things. I won't go through all the scriptures on these, so you can write them down or take a picture of it if you want. Just don't take a picture with yourself in it, like a selfie, okay? Um, Commanded, it was commanded to happen once a year. Numbers 29, 7 talks about that. And then interesting, as it continues on, you look at fasting in the Bible, fasts were increased during the exile. Now, if you're not familiar with the exile, this was a time period in Israel's history. Okay, God had taken them and brought them into the promised land, and they were doing well under kings, well under some of the prophets, and then kings like David, and even under Solomon's reign. But eventually, they started to disobey God, and they started to worship other gods and do things that God didn't want them to do. And so God told them, if you do that, guess what? I'm going to take you out of the promised land. And there came a time where they were exiled. They were taken out of the promised land, and it was, it was God's discipline on them. So as they were exiled, they were over in another land, in the Babylonian uh, Empire, and they were over in that area, and they began at that point to say, how do we get back to the promised land? So as they're looking at Scriptures, as they're studying Scriptures, they realize the reason we're in this situation is because we've been disobedient. So they start to figure out, hey, if we do certain things Maybe God will allow us to go back to the promised land. So they turned their hearts back to God, and they started to fast more than just once a year. And then by the time Jesus comes on the scene, okay, so they go back to the promised land, they're in the promised land, and they, they, they never got to have a kingdom like they did during David's reign. 
But they were promised a Messiah, and so for, for many years they started thinking, hey, if we do certain things and if we, we do them better and better and we teach the next generation, these are the laws of God, let's do them. And then they started tweaking them a little bit. And it's kind of like what we see today where, where we're putting more pressure, like, well, hey, if you have this college education, you're going to do well. Well, if you have this college education plus this, plus this, plus this, you'll do even better. And we put all this pressure on that generation. They were doing the same thing then. Listen, God has deserted us, is what they were probably saying, and therefore we need to earn God's favor back. This is what the law has to say. Now let's tweak it a little bit. Let's, let's strengthen that for each generation that comes up. And by the time Christ walks on the earth, their law was so fine-tuned that at times Pharisees were fasting two times a week. Two times to make themselves look that much better before God. So that's kind of the, the way fasting had gone, and that's what Jesus walks into. So when he starts talking about fasting, he starts to tell these people, you guys have heard about fasting. You know that the Pharisees, they talk about fasting two times a week. Well, what about fasting in the Bible? One, it's, attempt to, it's an attempt to draw God's attention Fasting in the Bible is an attempt to prove your sorrow as genuine. This is just kind of a summary of what we just talked about. And it was often used, and this one's interesting, it was often used for the nation and the church and not for self. When you look at all the examples of fasting, it was used for the nation. In the New Testament, it was used for the church. When they make major decisions, they would come together, they would fast and ask God for, for direction. It wasn't for self. So by the time Jesus walks on the scene, you've got the Pharisees using fasting now as a way to gain attention rather than a way to uh, use it for, for worship and honor to God. So now let's go back to the text. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. Now here he doesn't name the Pharisees, but we know in the context, chapter 6, that he's talking about Pharisees. And usually Matthew, when he references hypocrites, he's usually talking about Pharisees. So he's saying, you Pharisees, you religious leaders of the day, you that have been taught all these things that you should fast maybe twice a week, he goes, you guys are hypocrites. What's happened at that point is they now have, instead of giving their, their attention to God, their attention is now on themselves. In a sense, they become narcissistic. In fact, we read about some of the... Uh, we read about some of the parables where Jesus is talking about how there's a person who's wounded, right? He's wounded and he's laying in a ditch and people are walking by and the Pharisees and the people of the law, they're walking by and they see the person who's in the ditch and they just pass them by. Well, I'm too busy. I'm not I'm too important to, to handle that. And that was kind of the attitude that they had. Why? Because I think they had put so much attention on the law. There's so much pressure to fulfill the law that all they could think about was themselves. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy. So don't take your face and distort your face and think, oh, you know, oh, poor is me, I'm fasting. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to draw attention to yourself when you fast. Then he goes, so that their fasting that is obvious to people, truly I tell you, they have their reward. What's their reward? Well, what they wanted was attention. They wanted people to notice what they were doing. They got it. People would be, oh, look at that Pharisee. He's over there fasting. Good job for the Pharisee. Hey, thanks for fasting for the nation of Israel. We appreciate your hard work. They got that attention that they wanted. 
they got their reward. So then he says, verse 17, but when you fast, you're going to be different. When you fast, put oil on your head. Now, you can take this literally if you want, or you can try to understand what he's talking about 2,000 years ago. Okay. Um, you probably don't normally put oil on your head. I don't know. I guess essential oils and all those are kind of coming back and stuff like that. But, you know, we, you might do something like that. But you, you, you might put something on your head. But typically you don't put oil on your head. But you do wash yourself. You do take a shower. They didn't take a shower back then. This is a way that they took care of themselves. They put oil on their head. They would wash their face. Now, hopefully, every day you take care of yourself in some form or fashion, right? Whether it's a shower, whether it's cleaning up or something, you're going to clean up. That's what he's saying here. Clean up. Go through what you would normally do on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Clean up and then go out and your fasting won't be obvious to others because that's the point. You shouldn't be drawing attention to yourself. You should be going about your day like it's a normal day because fasting is supposed to be between you and God. Remember giving? He talks about giving. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That way God who sees it will know that it's just between you and God. When we talked about prayer, he says, go into the inner room, close the door so nobody can see. Don't make it public, but go and and, and hide and make it secret so it's between you and God. So you're not out there showing off. And then he goes on, he says, and your father then who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, have, have looked at rewards through the Bible or have been taught on it throughout the Bible. There's not a lot when it comes to this is specifically what your reward's going to be. There's a couple mentions in there of, of us receiving a crown, and oftentimes it's related to the, the type of crown, like a, a wreath almost on your head, that a, a runner would get at the end of a race. So the Romans had it set up to where you would run a race and the, the one who would ha- be the victor would get that crown and then they would have a parade and they'd march around, hey, look at what so-and-so has done. And that was the honor that was given to that person for what they had done. Now, what's interesting in the context of Christianity is I think that at the end, there is a crown, a reward of some type that is given to us. But here's the kicker, okay? If you go to Revelation, you're going to read about 24 elders. I personally think that's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of the church. But the 24 are coming before Christ, and you know what they do? They take the crowns, and we don't know what crowns these are, but they take these awesome crowns that they have, and they throw them at Jesus' feet. Do you know why? Well, if you back up a little bit further in Revelation, it talks about these scrolls that come out, and they're supposed to unroll these scrolls and read the scrolls, and everybody's looking around going, who's worthy enough to open the scrolls? There's a time of humility for them when they realize that they're not worthy enough to open the scrolls. Nobody is there is worthy enough to open the scrolls except Christ. So Christ comes and opens the scroll, and then they realize they throw their crowns at His feet. Listen, you and I, we may get a crown, but I'll tell you what, it's not going to be worth anything compared to eternal life that we have with Christ. So if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to get this awesome crown, it's going to have jewels on it, and I'm going to be able to put it there on my shelf in my mansion it's not going to matter to you because you have eternal life with Christ. You know what your reward is when it says your Father who sees in secret will reward you? Your reward is filling that hole that was made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. 
bringing together that relationship with God the Father who created you, made you, and knows you. Our reward is having a relationship, an eternal life with Almighty God, our Creator. That's our reward. Look at what Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Just like the context we were looking at, right? Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance. What's that inheritance? That inheritance is eternal life. You and I get to be in heaven. You and I get to be in that throne room with God where Christ is seated, where God is at. We get to spend all eternity there. Is there anything better than that? We may think so at times. Isn't it sad that we still live for goosebumps when we have something so great to live for? People give you goosebumps, but God gives you life. God gives us eternal life, and it does not ever go away. That's the whole idea of eternal the moment you put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life. Now, we experience that here on this earth to some degree, and when we die or Christ comes back, we go to heaven and we have eternal life with Him. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. But even now, we have some, some joy and peace and comfort that comes through knowing Christ. And it's far better than any temporary goosebumps we'll get from people. Man, if only the Pharisees would have known that. Jesus tells us this very thing. Listen, don't focus on your relationship with other people first. Focus on your relationship with God first. Focus on that vertical relationship between you and God, and then as that relationship improves, your relationship with other people improve. People give you goosebumps, but God gives you life. So here's a couple things as we reflect today, a couple questions we can ask ourselves. One, do I place a greater value on people's attention or God's attention? That's interesting. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you may be like, well, I'm still looking for, for attention out there. I'm still looking for somebody to fill that hole. I know I'm, I'm lonely. I know I'm in need. I know that I don't have that relationship with God Almighty, and I'd love to have that relationship with God. Maybe if I do better, maybe if I do a certain amount of works, maybe if I do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, or anything like that, maybe God will then find me acceptable. So the only thing you need to do is come to Jesus Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Place your faith. Understand that He died on the cross and rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sins. That's awesome. Hopefully that's something that stirs up some kind of passion inside of you that says, you know what, this is a great message. Next Sunday we're going to celebrate the resurrection. We're going to celebrate Christ who's come back to life and given us eternal life. You know what, if Christ didn't come back to life, we'd have no hope. He gave you life, He gave me life by coming back to dead. Now the power of the resurrection is given to you and to me. And that ought to bring some kind of excitement in your life. Hopefully it brings a lot more than a furry bunny that lays eggs. I sure hope it does, right? And yet that's what we focus on. In fact, there'll be more people excited to go to a store to buy chocolate eggs than celebrate Christ. Next question. 
Am I satisfied then? It's very similar to what we just talked about. Am I satisfied with the reward of eternal life, or am I hoping to just get more from something else? I, I find this so odd in my life. I know the gospel message inside and out. I can tell you. I can sit down and show you scriptures. I can, I can walk through it. I can remind myself every single day of the gospel, and yet still I'm attracted to what this world has to offer. It's crazy. I want more rather than just being content and the reward of eternal life. I think that's why church and our body is so important so we can remind each other on a regular basis, on a daily basis, that Christ is all we need. We fall into that trap all the time. I want more, I want more, I want more. And this world is really good at that, right? Let's put some more out there. Let's put those ads on there. We search for one thing, and all of a sudden every app we have has an advertisement for that one thing we search for, right? They're always before us, always in front of us. But the greatest reward is eternal life. So a question I have for you also, if you don't have eternal life or if you don't know how to have eternal life, then I would ask you to to do something. We give you response cards and ask you to mark on there starting a relationship with Jesus so we could follow up. Because maybe you would like to say something like this. I would like someone from Involved Church to talk to me about how I can have a greater identity of who I am in Jesus. So mark on that card. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I want to know. I want to know how I can have that relationship with God. I want to know how I can have eternal life. And take, the, take all that pressure off of myself, trying to make myself better to everybody else, trying to make myself better before God. I want to know how to do that. If you do, then I'd love to talk to you about it. Pastor Luke would love to talk to you about it. Maybe a friend that brought you here can talk to you about it, or they can bring you to us. Or maybe it's like, hey, can you do that during the week over a cup of coffee or something like that? Absolutely. Let's sit down and go over that. So you can mark that on that response card, or, or you can seek me out afterwards. The greatest attention we can ever get is from God Almighty the one who created us, knows us inside and out, and gave us the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to renew and restore that relationship that was lost at the Garden of Eden. If you're looking for attention in somewhere else, can I just ask you, please, please turn to God, and you'll be fulfilled that way, much more than you will with the goosebumps. Reflect, think about those questions. We'll give you a couple minutes and then we'll close.